0: there's one group of Jews that is constantly demonized by the press and abused by the security forces. And when people around the world are paying attention to what's happening in the land of Israel, uh, they hear a lot about this group, but they never hear from this group. So on this episode of The Next Stage, I thought it appropriate, especially given the events of recent weeks in the northern Shomron, in the area around Shem that we actually give voice to somebody who we can call a representative of the subculture the media refers to as the Norgvaot, as the Hilltop Youth. So with me on the show today is Akiva Cohen from Yitzhar, who maybe does, maybe doesn't represent the Hilltop Youth. Akiva, thanks for joining me. Hi, thank you. All right. Well, first of all, when we see in the press the hilltop youth, what does that mean? Who is that talking about? Who the, does that
1: refer to? The press refers to anybody they want to as hilltop youth. Okay. There's no nobody, nothing specific that uh, determines somebody as a hilltop youth or not. Mm-hmm. It's something that rather the press or the shinbet rather use as a term so they, they could uh, put everything in one collective and uh, just... Uh, do whatever they want to to them. Once they call you a hilltop youth, you're allowed. They, they're allowed to do whatever you, whatever they want with you. Meaning
0: legally, with, without um, having to charge you uh, with more, any
1: crime, without having to let you see a lawyer. That, that's the next step. The first step is just to, label, right? To label you as as that. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's, no like it's like saying you're. ISIS. Once uh-huh. you once they say you're ISIS, so so mm-hmm. you, they could do whatever you want. So. so
0: so for the most part, Israeli security forces are. Responsible for deciding who is and who isn't in the Hilltop Youth?
1: One second you could be uh-huh. determined by them as a Hilltop Youth, and the second second you're not anymore. Okay. But basically. Um, you don't have a bank account, you don't have a
0: board of directors. I'm no not
1: a re- representative of the Hilltop Youth in that, in that way uh-huh. because there's nobody who can, meaning right. there's no there's organization or no such thing. thing. Um, what it is is though, behind, the, the people behind that term are, are young guys usually age um, 14 and up that um, for personal reasons decided to leave the regular uh, yeshiva um, high school or high schools or schools wherever they were uh, different ages it could be 14 it could be 16 it could be 18 it could be even that they didn't leave the school or, or while they're on uh in the summertime or things like that so they join and but the common in between all of these guys are that they really care about what's going on in Am Yisrael and Eretz Yisrael. Meaning, they don't just live their life and, uh, and wait to, to go to the army and wait to marry and then have kids and, uh, and work and then have grandchildren and so on. They're looking to promote Am Yisrael to continue the, the, the redemption of Am Yisrael and Eretz Yisrael.
0: They're looking to be characters in the story of Am Yisrael. Definitely. Really, to, Definitely. to participate in advancing Jewish liberation.
1: Now, what does happen is that some of them, the reason that they left the yeshivas or the schools, their high schools, is because they do have problems. Mm -hmm. Meaning, they, they, you can find many kids with ADHD over there, or kids that uh, was harder for them to be in a regular uh, school. Um, But instead of going out and taking drugs and going out with girls and so on and on. They're taking those energies and doing and doing good stuff with it they're settling the land, which is the main issue here and Now, the reason the media and the government um, and the army fight against them so much is because you finally have guys who are not willing to do exactly what they say the We need to remember that the media, the government, the army, and everybody else the whole system is guided in the past 20-30 uh, years by the New Israel Fund and by many different uh, organizations here in Israel that teach them and tell them what the right agenda is supposed to be. And here come some guys, young guys, and they're not willing to w- to listen to them, meaning that they'll go and settle the land and they don't really care if it's labeled as A, B, or C according to the Oslo Accords. Mm-hmm. They'll just settle it because it's, how it's Israel Israel. Right. And,
0: and it's also an act of resistance against any attempts to
1: divide the land because the they do have borders there as well mm-hmm. but definitely they won't just go because they got a, a, a letter that said you have to go mm-hmm. and because of that Wait, they,
0: won't they, they won't leave they won't whatever leave whatever mountain they're on
1: right so, so now same thing with security issues mm-hmm. in the past mainly in the past uh, 20 years we have an intifada going on all the time you have stronger and weaker times, but after all, every few months we have somebody killed in uh, on the roads in uh, the shuvim or inside the shuvim, and mainly most of the people just don't do anything. And these kids come out and say, "Hey guys, what's going on here? We can't just be killed like nothing." And they protest, and the, the system doesn't like the, their, their protests, uh, so they uh, try to arrest them, but uh, usually they don't know who's doing what's doing so they uh, they started with a new term since uh, Robin's assassination back then that that was it's called uh, administrative orders
0: and administrative detention detention no that, that's existed for decades it's, before the assassination
1: it started actually from the British mandate here right. it was used against the Irgun and the Lehi mm-hmm. that they didn't know how to deal with them so they they the started the with they started with these administrative detention orders or expulsion orders. Mm-hmm. Personally, I've got five of them that expelled us me from my home. And basically, the idea is they give you a a paper. They knock at your door usually three four o'clock in the morning. Give you a piece of paper and say, within twenty four hours you need to leave your home and all of you die in Shemron. Why? Because and you you're, can't be anywhere in though. Usually, you can't be anywhere. Mm-hmm. Why? Because you're uh, dangerous mm-hmm. for security reasons. Now. Um, I live in Itzar. Itzar is a large community, uh, almost uh, 300 uh, families, uh, a few thousand, a couple of thousand uh, residents. Um, and only just two months ago, one of the residents in Itzar, uh, Neria Zarug, his name is, uh, was expelled by the Shinbet. Now, one of the things you see, Neria is married, he has two children already, but you could they probably will call him a hilltop youth, even though he's 22 with two kids. Um, and Neria decided that he's not willing to leave just because they told him to. He said, Sorry, guys. And he came out on his, uh, and came out aloud and said, I'm staying home. I'm staying in Itzar. I'll run away from you so you don't arrest me, but I'm not leaving here. And he's on a runaway for the past two months. Now, if the Shinbet have anything against him, they could definitely take him to court. But they don't. They just say, He's behind security acts in the area. He, um, there are acts against the Arabs that live in our, our area, and for that reason, we're expelling him. And that just happened right now. Itar itself has five mm-hmm. hilltops surrounding it, but mm-hmm. actually today, it's more like neighborhoods than hilltops. They've because, essentially
0: become part of Itar,
1: right? Because entire itself the, has about 150 families. Right. That's on one. The mountain. other hundred, like the central right, mountain, the central mountain, <laughs> and surrounding it, and five different hilltops. You have about another hundred or 120 families. Mm-hmm. That they're all families. I have eight kids at home, and families with ten or twelve kids, and even one family with fourteen kids. Okay. And cool. and each one, uh, each uh, one of these hilltops has between. Five families, the smallest one, and 30 or 40 families, the largest one. Are they called Hilltop Youth? Is this a guy, the 50-year-old guy that lives there with 14 kids, um, called the
0: Hilltop Youth? Depends what he does, right? He could he could also be determined as Hilltop Youth. So there's no, first of all, no official organization called Hilltop Youth. No. It's a, it's a media term that the police and the Shin Bet and the army use when they want to essentially arrest or expel a specific individual from the West Bank, from Judea or Samaria. Right, right. So, w- what's been going on over the last few weeks? I know that Yitzhar and uh, one of, I guess, the, the hilltops next to Yitzhar, Kumi Ori, have been in the news a lot recently, clashing with security forces. Uh, what's happened over the last couple of weeks in Sukkot, in Yitzhar and in the surrounding hilltops?
1: Yeah. So, in the background, we do have that friend of mine, Neria, mm-hmm. who has gotten this administrative order. And is on a runaway. Um, That's in the background. We need to remember that. Okay. But actually it all started um, with Europeans and Americans. Who came to help them. So-called pick their olives. Now. In a village close to Yitzhak. Now. Let's start off with the fact that. The army. Even though. I think it's not the right thing to do. What they do is. They set specific days. Mm -hmm. That they bring police and army to defend the Arabs that live and want to pick the, the olives planted in our mm-hmm. area. And they defend them on specific days. They tell them September 26th or now it's uh, October 27th till October 29th. This is the area that you can pick your olives and we'll be defending you. And that's what happens. Mm-hmm. That started, the, those uh, days that were uh, permitted days started right after Sukkot. Now, during Holmoid Sukkot, on Wednesday, without telling anybody before, uh, provocatively, these let- leftists...
0: When you say leftists, you mean European-funded organizations.
1: And Israelis, too. Okay,
0: but you're talking about people who are... But the Israelis who are part of it are part of organizations that get money from foreign governments.
1: Right, usually. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, so we're, we're talking about an agenda. There's somebody somewhere else in the world with an agenda... To create problems in our country, definitely, and to, you see to, that all the time, To obstruct right. the rebirth of the Jewish people in our mm-hmm. land, and there are people on the ground here who make good salaries working for these organizations that are funded from these governments. Probably, I don't think they would do that otherwise. Right. No meaning. We, so they, in, in, you should know. Uh, on the other side, like in Ramallah and in uh, Shechem and in places like that, they have a term for this. They call it the peace industry. And there's as much hostility towards these organizations and their agendas as there is in Yitzhar.
1: Okay. So they um, they came. They decided to come on Wednesday on Cholam mm-hmm. Oitzukot before they were allowed permitted, mm-hmm. and they they started coming up towards Yitzhar to so-called pick their olives. Now in the past, besides for the fact that they're getting close to Yitzhar, we've had attacks on the yeshuv itself by those so-called olive pickers mm-hmm. that yes. came. Yes, about 10 years ago. A olive picker that was supposed to be washed by a soldier went around that soldier and walked into one of the hilltops, one of the homes there, with a knife. And the last second, the owner of the house uh, took out a weapon and shot him to death. Mm-hmm. Or another story, who uh, a so-called olive picker pick up, the, uh, who never gets close to Yitzhar walked from the olive orchard's to the, the main road going up to the siren through a stone at, a, at, a, at, a, car at a car so the army wasn't there nobody knew about it and um, some guys i don't know who they are but the media calls them the hilltop youth went down and kicked them out of that area now we don't know what happened there exactly the media Claims that uh, a guy from Yushalayim was attacked, but even though he was without his bandages a minute before he put on the bandages and uh, and went on media, um, they claim he was injured lightly. Afterwards, we don't know again who, the orchards of those olives, probably those young guys, torched the olives so that to um,
0: protect the Yeshuv That's from. The The Arabs uh, coming to pick the olives close to Yishu. So the issue, let let me say it back to you to make sure I understand it, listeners understand it, the issue from the perspective of the residents of Yitzhar and the surrounding hills and the so-called hilltop youth, whatever that means, is that the olive picking that takes place has in the past led to threats in the community. Meaning there have been people who've participated in Picking Olives who've actually used their proximity to the community to be able to attack Jews who live in Yitzhar.
1: Right. Now, so, so the first question that would be asked is why didn't they call the army? Mm-hmm. And the reason is because the army has gone through such a big change in the past uh, 20 years, I would say, that today they're looking, they act more like a
0: UN army, meaning they're a looking... Peacekeeping force. Right. Especially they in your... quiet. Right. They want quiet. They want quiet. And that's the way up in the ranks. Right. Through making sure your target is from the ranks on
1: top and goes right. down. Right.
0: But if somebody wants a promotion, they have to show the commanding officer they did a good job keeping quiet.
1: Right. Right. And now, the reason like you, Yitzhar- you don't
0: feel... Hold on. Let, let me just ask you a question, because I think this is an important point for people to understand. It. The Jews who live in Yitzhar, unlike, let's say, the Jews who live in Efrat don't experience the power of the army behind them.
1: Yeah, but it it comes from the opposite side as well. Mm -hmm. For the same reason, Yitzhar is one of the only yeshuvim that does not have a fence around Mm -hmm. them. Because there's a saying here. We didn't come only to settle the land inside our fence. Eretz Israel is ours. Mm -hmm. Now, meanwhile, we do still have Arabs here, and we accept that fact. And some of them don't like you. We don't like them either. the er arabs is ours. Mm-hmm. And we need to be here, and we need to employ ourselves, and we need to live here. Now, um, if, I sh- if I fence myself, what I'm saying is, this is mine, and outside the fence is
0: yours, and Yitzhak are not willing
1: to say that saying.
0: Right. And also, I would say, to put a fence around yourself is to live like a settler, and you want to live like a native.
1: That's exactly what I'm trying to say. Right. Exactly. But now,
0: let me ask you a question. You say, you don't like Arabs. Why don't you like Arabs?
1: I definitely have no problems with Arabs, mm-hmm. as long as they're not fighting against us. Ah, so you have a problem with people fighting against you. Besides for the people fighting against us, if mm-hmm. an Arab would like to stay in Israel, mm-hmm. he'd have to accept the fact... Get to so,
0: Some sort of whatever that means right. today. We don't know... Exactly. Well, I think that's one of the things we have to unpack now that right. we have power again after 2,000 years. Like, right. what does it mean to be a non-Jew and Jewish a, society? It's a very
1: big question. Yeah. But if he accepts the fact mm-hmm. that Israel... Um, In charge, let's Mm -hmm. call it that way, in Arabs Israel. So he, once he accepts that, so we could start speaking. What terms? Mm -hmm. In what terms can he stay and cannot? But in the situation now is the way it is now that the Arab population is fighting against me. I cannot take upon myself Mm -hmm. the responsibility to decide now which Arab came because you're at war, right? Meaning that Arab that came now up to so-called pick his olives I cannot decide and determine if he's going to take out a knife and stab me in, in a minute or not that's the problem today and Yitzhak residents are not willing to accept that and therefore they say no Arabs get close and the army does not like that so what happened there is that after the the orchards were torched by these guys and we all went down to to make sure that the fire doesn't go up towards the Yishuv there was a Uh, A kid, we don't know if he was there at the attack of the leftists over there, the Europeans, or not. But he was sitting in his home in Kumiori. These guys, they're singles. They have a tent over there. It's a tent for singles? Yeah. A nice tent set up. Mm -hmm. And he was sitting there on the sofa. And a jeep stops outside, an army uh, vehicle. Cut... An army commander walks in, runs in, straight at him and uh, starts uh, choking him in his neck and beating him him on his chest, on his ribs. And he told one soldier, stand, make sure he doesn't move with the pepper gas uh, next to his face. And the other one said, look through their stuff to find some way to tie him. So one soldier was standing with pepper gas. The commander was beating him up. And, How uh, old is this kid? He's uh, about twenty. Oh, okay. and uh, and uh, the and the third soldier is going through the cabinet, looking, and he finally found these uh, these uh, something he could tie him with. They tied him, put him in the put him in the back of the army jeep vehicle, and smushed his uh, mashed his his uh, head down so that nobody could see that he was arrested. Now, the army lives in Yitzhar, the army guard Yitzhar, we respect them, we accept them, we help them, we, we invite them to eat with us and everything. But you need to understand that the way Yitzhar sees it, the army is there, like I see it, to guard the Jews. Anything, if anybody needs to arrest a Jew for some reason, we obviously don't agree with that, but it definitely cannot be an army, it has to be, the, be police. the police. Now... It's not even that this guy... Was in the middle of... Attacking or torching. He was sitting in his home. This commander decided... That somebody from that... Tent in are, is Was a part of that attack. And for that reason... He'll arrest him. And that got... Everybody aggravated. Now we didn't know about his... We knew he was arrested at night... Because he called a lawyer. But till Friday... We didn't know what happened to him. On Friday... Before Shabbos, he was, he was released. And he, and he told his friends what happened, that he was attacked by this commander. And that got all these guys really mad. So you have all these guys mad at the army there, the whole Shabbos. And Mosei Shabbos, which is little Hoshana Rabbah, there were about 20, 30 guys who came to learn there. Uh, like uh, Amir Yisrael learned learn Torah and Oshana Rabbah. They were learning there. And the army jeep came and uh, stood outside their base medras where they were learning. And so they came up to the, to the army vehicle and said, please leave here, we're mad at you. The imam said, we're mad at you, what you did to our friend, who was meanwhile in house arrest, he wasn't there, he was released to house arrest. Leave this place before it gets uh, too tense here. Yeah. And so the army, I think, weren't smart enough to say, okay, we understand. Said, no, we're going to Davka stay here. And that's the point where things... Uh, they wanted to show who's Things exploded, right. Now, I'm explaining what happened. I'm not saying that these guys did the correct things. Mm -hmm. But I'm trying to show the whole picture. Okay. So this vehicle stands outside the airbase measures. And they start shooting uh, shouting at at each other. The soldiers and the youth. One point, um, somebody took a a knife and and, uh, punctured the tires of that vehicle. Of the army vehicle. Of the army vehicle. The soldiers decided to arrest that. That guy or a group of guys, and in order to arrest them, they they used their weapons. They shot very close to to those uh, to those youth. They shot bullets. They shot real bullets close to the youth. Now, I was in the Yeshuv learning, and we heard shots. We looked towards the that hilltop, and we see the shots in the air. We ran. We were sure. We were positive. It was average. We wouldn't even imagine that that Jewish soldiers used hot weapons against. Jews. Mm. It was Golani? It was Golani. And the reason they did it was to try to arrest these guys. Mm. The guys, they were shooting not at them, or Hashem, but
0: close to them. They pick up, pick up stones and threw back at them. So, so you have a fight between Jewish teenagers with rocks and Golani soldiers with Weapons. guns.
1: Right. And at that point, the guys ran away. The Golani soldiers... Didn't know what to do because they had to, uh, they, they were around their vehicle and the other guys ran away. They couldn't run after them. And that's where it finished. So I got there minutes afterwards because we were sure it was Arabs shooting at the neighborhood and we came to help. We tried to calm things down. Nothing really helped. Within uh, a day or two, the army uh, decided to put a special order that uh, doesn't allow anybody at all besides for the families living in Kumiyori, the six families living there doesn't allow anybody else to come near to come into that uh, hilltop it's a closed military zone and besides for that they took over the home of those uh, youth meaning they turned it into a military base a border patrol uh, Mm -hmm. uh, military base and that's uh, the case uh What's going on now? In between, on that Friday, the, uh, that uh, we heard about the, what the commander did to that guy, somebody, uh, a married guy from the yeshuv, maybe about 30 years old, saw the commander that is higher in command, above the commander that, that beat up that kid, and uh, he saw him in the yeshuv. came up to him and screamed at him and said, um, don't touch our children. They got into some. Uh, they were shouting at each other. I don't know exactly what 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 went on there, but that guy continued. He said, "My name is this and this. I'm not hiding behind anything. Just watch out. Don't touch our kids." And he went to his in-laws for Shabbos far away in Neryo, which is about an hour away. And um, on Shabbos itself, during the right after the Suda uh, police came and arrested this guy on Shabbos, a guy that has kids. His wife is supposed to give birth any day. Maybe she already Shut gave birth. birth. And he was arrested over Shabbos. And Erev Simchat Torah, he was supposed to continue. Uh, he was supposed to be arrested over Simchat Torah as well. And Chonenu, and, uh, which is our legal organization, went to court and succeeded to release him before Simchat Torah and uh, uh, to house arrest at the house. And he was there for Simchat Torah. But you need to understand that, again, from a guy screaming, this guy didn't do anything physical. Nobody claims he did anything physical. Just because he screamed at this commander, they went all the way out to an area to arrest him during Shabbos, which is something... Please don't it,
0: it, if, From everything you're saying, it sounds to me like the security forces have a need to show the Jews of your community who's boss. They need to show that they're in charge, that they have the authority. Why do you think that is? As we said earlier, they
1: want quiet. Mm -hmm. They want the area to keep quiet. And these guys do not keep quiet. Mm -hmm. And they have a problem with that. But now, we don't, as a community, we don't think think that the right thing to do then was to throw stones. And not even to puncture the tires as a community we we planned to make official things against the uh, those com- the commander who beat it at the kid up to go to the police against him to uh, talk to his commanders mm-hmm. maybe uh maybe kick him out of the army official things but i could understand these youth were very mad at what they what was done to their friend immediately afterwards personally I did and many others sat with these guys and explained to them their mistake and they understood that. Now I don't know Their mistake being what? Being uh, puncturing the tires and, and throwing stones. Said there are limits. We are Jews there are limits and if you're mad very mad come to us and we'll think together what can be done inside those limits. Now we need to understand though that that those the same uh Strength that the youth have against the army, we could use for good things as well, and that's why I'm not willing to speak against what's called the hilltop youth. I'm not, I'm not going to say that we need to put them all in jail or many other things that were said against them. Mm-hmm. I could say we need to sit with them, we need to accept them, we need to help help them with their education, we need to promote their strengths to better stuff. But um, nobody's willing to accept. We need to re- them.
0: rechannel their energies towards right. something that would be good for the nation, right?
1: Because right. afterwards. Like I said earlier, they're trying to do good things. Mm-hmm. And as youth, in their teens, they don't always know exactly what's the best thing. Mm-hmm. And that's our job. They're still rebellious teenagers at the end of the day. Right. The crazy thing here in Israel, at the same time, mm-hmm. or the past few months, we have major demonstrations here done by Arabs against Arab violence, but being violent themselves. And the Ethiopians uh, community, which I have no problem with, but also... Um, we're demonstrating very, very violent demonstrations, including burning cars, and mm-hmm. and we had many, dev- many violent stuff done here in Israel, just in the past few months. We n- heard nothing. The media were always on their side, on the, the Arab the, side, the, and the on media Ethiopian. Is- so have, why are you different? So here we have a few guys who mm-hmm. punctured a tire and mm-hmm. threw stones, mm-hmm. and I already said that I'm against that. Um, but within a few hours, yeah. we had the president of the state, mm-hmm. the prime minister of the state, the uh, the head of the army, and every politician possible on media against him. Why is that? Why do you think? The reason is obvious. We all these guys here know we have a country, and it's all inside some borders and limits. And these guys are looking forward. They're not willing to stay as is. Mm-hmm. They want to continue.
0: They represent something threatening. Yeah, the uh, question is, what's threatening? So, so I'll tell you what I think it is. I'll say it maybe in mystical terms, and we'll translate it into political terms. You know, within Am Yisrael, there's different forces. There's the force of the different tribes, represent different forces. There's the force of Yosef, there's the force of Judah, the force of Benjamin. And these are all different, let's say, uh, forces within the collective Hebrew soul. And Zionism was the force of Yosef. Like the Gona Vilna identifies like Mashiach ben Yosef as like the material, physical rebuilding of the nation of Israel in its land. Economy, army, government, politics, everything that we have in common with the other nations of the world. Like Yosef is the bard of Am Yisrael that um, it, it resembles the other nations, especially like the dominant nation of any given generation. In Yosef at time, it was Mitzrayim. He looked like a Mitzrayim. His brothers thought he was a Mitzrayim. But today, it's obviously the United States, Europe, like Yosef, also represents within Israel the power to defeat Esav. So we need Yosef. But at the same time, Yosef is focused on things like security, economy, the high tech, the material well-being of the nation of Israel. Yehuda represents the force within us that makes us different from the other nations. What's special about us, what's unique about us, what, uh, what's our actual culture, our actual destiny. You can see it very clearly in uh, Sefer Malachim, like the difference between Machut Israel and Machut Judah, the Kingdom of Israel and the Kingdom of Judah. The Kingdom of Israel, if we were living at that time, which was mostly ruled by descendants of Yosef, like from the tribe the of Ephraim, the Kingdom of Israel was the more powerful kingdom, economically, diplomatically, militarily. They had the trade routes going through it. They were on the coast. The Kingdom of Judah we consider more important from the perspective of Jewish history, because it was a Davidic kingdom, and it had the Beit HaMikdash, and it was like loyal to our culture, our Torah, our identity. But it was basically a desert kingdom that nobody really cared about at the time on the world stage. But historically, they're, they're more important so what we have here is we have a situation where Zionism, or Yosef, built a state of Israel. They created this state, and they feel very entitled. They created the state to be something, what they believed that it was going to be, a bomb shelter, a fortress of Western civilization in the Middle East, whatever they thought they were building. And suddenly you have, as time goes on, this other force that's rising in Israeli society, the force of Yudah, that's extremely threatening to those who built the institutions, and think that they have the right to control those institutions forever. And when they get scared of Yuda, they point at Shimon. Because Shimon is the way to scare the public away from supporting Yuda. And you, the Hiltap youth, the Kahanistim, that's Shimon. right? They point at Shimon. The, the, Shimon exists within Yuda, But Shimon is like the radical, militant, maybe even the vanguard of the force of Yuda. And, and you, you know where you see it, where I saw it most clearly? In the previous election campaign. The posters for Kochol the blue and white party, you have Benny Gantz and Yair Lapid and uh, Gabi Ashkenazi and uh, Bugi Alon, all these like Ashkenazi generals, like it's like the Israel of the 1950s. That's what they're bringing you, blue and white. Or, and then you see another poster next to it in yellow and black, it said, i Chai or Kahanachai. And you have there uh, Ben Gvir and Netanyahu and Smotrich and uh, who is the other guy? Ben Ari. And they look ugly and they look like, they almost look like the European caricatures of Jews. Right with the noses and the their faces, and the Jude. right? Like and suddenly that's the yellow and black one. And and what is that telling the public? What's Koholavan? What's Benny Gantz and Ye'ilipi telling the public? You can either be a state like what Israel, what we say Israel used to be, because the truth is Israel was never what they say it was. It wasn't that way for the Arabs. It wasn't that way for the Mizrahim. It wasn't that way for the different uh, Jewish communities that felt othered in Israeli society in the 1950s. But they say we can go back to being this kind of like. Western fortress, this outpost of Western civilization, essentially Rhodesia in the Middle East, which is what the liberal Zionists want, what we call the Israeli left wants. They want to be like a, an outpost of American culture and European values in the Middle East. Or there's this new thing that might be scary, the new thing of Am Yisrael actually returning and bringing a new idea to the world, bringing a new vision to the world, bringing new concepts of what right and wrong is, what good and evil is to the world, You know, they're afraid if we let those people loose, if we allow that Israel to exist, to rise... We don't know. Maybe it'll be a Jewish Iran. Maybe it'll be a giant Haredi community. People are scared of it. I personally don't think it'll be either. It won't be a Jewish Iran, and it won't be a giant Haredi community, because what we are going to create in this land is something that will inspire the whole of humanity. And I don't think Iran or the Haredi world can inspire humanity. But we have to be courageous enough to unpack our real identity, to ask ourselves. Like, the arguments in Israeli society over minority rights, whether it's Sudanese, Palestinians, whoever, it's always like do we accept or reject the Western concept of minority rights? Right. But we never say, well, wait a minute, maybe Israel has a concept of minority rights that's actually more just than the Western concept of minority rights. We're not having that conversation. When we have conversations about the, the place of Torah in the institutions of the state, it's always like, oh, you're going to force people to keep Shabbat, you're going to shut down the buses. Right. But what about, uh, what about uh, stopping weapon sales to human rights abusers? Or what about uh, Shemitah actually meeting people Socioeconomic needs. Yovel. Or Yovel. like Or Yovel, like like meaning we're not we're not having real conversations, or banks charging interest, like ribit, like we're not having real conversations over what it means to have a Jewish state. Right. How do you express the values of our people in the policies and institutions of a nation state in the I twenty first century? I could
1: add to that 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 connects me the fact that I, I came to Yitzhar as a hilltop youth <laughs> almost twenty years ago. Today's my 35th birthday. I got there as a, as a 16-year-old. Give me year a
0: kohen, and it's your birthday.
1: It's a uh, kohen yourself. You get it straight from Hashem. Yeah, um, you have, you so so I, came, I came with those, uh, with, as a 16-year-old, uh, 19 years ago, with those same, same ideas. Mm-hmm. I came actually because when I was in yeshiva in 11th grade, the the Arabs started what's called the the second third or whatever you want to call it intifada in two thousand in October two thousand second they call it second um, guys were being murdered every day and I just could, I said I can't be in yeshiva so I came and I got to through Khan, I got to itzar but today as an adult I'm looking to see what I can do so actually one of the projects I am working on now mm-hmm. is very similar to what you're talking about we we're doing a res- we have a research program that's looking into what a real Jewish state is supposed to look like.
0: Ah, what can you tell us about that? Is there a
1: website? No, it's just... It's, we're on a pilot right now. We okay. only just started a few months ago. We listed uh, more than 50 um, issues that we want to mm. uh, research. Uh, some of them you mentioned. But the reason I'm bringing this as an example is because here you see that the same energy I had as a youth and trying to change things now as an adult, I'm trying to make changes as uh, more uh, long-term changes, more than short-term changes that uh, that, I, uh, that the youth usually do. So I think our job with, these, with the Hiltap Youth is to encourage them to use their energy, but inside the limits and towards the right direction okay. that, that's the correct thing. Now, the problem is that including everybody, including the uh, guys in Moetit Yesha and the Yeshuvim,
0: Meaning the authorities, even the authorities were supposed to represent us in the Jewish communities in Judea and Samaria. We try to send these guys to jail are mm-hmm. against them. So they rebel against them as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Now,
0: I saw looking looking the pictures of Kumi Ori, I saw a picture of an Israeli flag.
1: That stuff from the Magav. Ah, uh, the, the army that, put it there. The army put that there. Okay. The guys over there would not put that, actually. They would put a temple flag. Mm-hmm. So
0: maybe that's something we should talk about. What is the relationship or the, where does the state of Israel and its institutions fit in, into the mindset of the hilltop Youth? How do they see Be, the state because, and its
1: institutions? Because what the state of Israel mm-hmm. has gone through in the past 30 years, and because it's not going towards a Jewish state but the opposite, I could talk by myself, not only... But is it, a, it's
0: trying. The people who control, the, what we said, Yosef, they're trying to stop it from becoming a, too much of a quote-unquote Jewish state, but they see they can't, they're frustrated, because they see as, no matter what they do, as of, other population as is growing mail, faster, the army... Mail.
1: What the army is supposed to do, they're supposed to fight. Does the army fight today? They don't fight. When we see the state of Israel as mm-hmm. is, we cannot praise it. We cannot say, look up to y- it. I don't say Haller Yom HaTzma'ot, and I'm not... Did you ever?
0: A, a flag. Never, never, no, never I mean, in your life.
1: Maybe as a kid. Uh-huh.
0: No, so, no, but I'm saying it's never been as a no. as a thinking ne- adult. You've never said halal Yom HaTzma'ot or Yom Yerushalayim.
1: No, I don't. Uh-huh. And the reason is because the symbol
0: of of the state of Israel is not Judaism today. Use no, a democratic state. The problem is in Israeli society, when we use the word democratic, it's usually a synonym for westernization. But there are authentic Jewish models of democracy, like where you empower individuals to control the structures they that, live under.
1: That definitely is a very important issue that we need mm-hmm. to deal with.
0: But as of now, the state
1: of Israel does not. Mm-hmm. They're looking to to be like the rest of the nations.
0: Or specific nations. They want and to now, be like...
1: I could see... I could see the... The complication here. Mm-hmm. But the youth is a lot harder for them. They see black or white. Mm-hmm. So they definitely won't be putting up a flag. Now, we need to remember that in the, in the early 70s or the late 60s, early 70s, all the guys who wanted to do good things came out and started these Yishuvim. Gushamunim. <laughs> the 70s and even the 80s. Mm-hmm. Since the early 90s, since Oslo agreements, you hardly have that. Mm-hmm. And now all these energies, most of them are doing nothing. That's the reason why they executed the disengagement plant that they expelled all the Jews from Gaza, was done, and that's why many other things, bad things, which uh, everyone was given, and uh, obviously Oslo agreements, because the Jews stopped going forward. Right. Uh, no, I, I agree. I, I think and, since nineteen sixty-seven, we've stopped moving forward. So we finally have these guys mm-hmm. who are trying to move forward.
0: Okay. Look, I, I run several educational programs where we work on actually taking bright young Jews and really empowering them with the tools to be thought leaders in the Jewish community and to think about what are the goals of Jewish history, what's already been achieved, what's left to accomplish, and what are the obstacles standing in the way? How could we be characters in the story of smashing those obstacles and advancing Jewish history forward? That's like what we try to do when people come to different conclusions. I'll tell you for myself, I grew up uh, in New York, Not in the Jewish community. I grew up with everybody else, you know, maybe a couple Jews by accident. I was definitely the Jew in many situations with dangerous non-Jews. And I had to learn what being Jewish was through those confrontations. And when I was uh, around 19, 20 years old, I discovered for the first time the Internet. And through the Internet, I discovered the Jewish Defense League. And I got involved in the Jewish Defense League. And uh, from there, I started, you know, putting on a kippah and learning Torah and tzitzit, all this... And, uh, and, I, and then the Intifada started. You know, the Intifada you spoke about before when you were in 11th grade here. And what I saw on TV was very clear. There was a war between Arabs and Jews. I'm a Jew in a university in America. What am I doing here? Well, Jews my age in the land of Israel are putting on uniforms and picking up guns and going to risk their lives. So I dropped out of school and I moved here. I actually moved right to Machon Meir. Like I came right from the plane to Machon Meir. And, uh, and I was involved a little bit in also some hilltop stuff. There's some, there's some communities that still exist that I was involved in starting uh, in the Shomron. And then I went to Netzach, you know, Netzach Yehuda. And when I finished the army, I was married, and I went to Ras Al-Amud, like an Arab neighborhood in Yerushalayim, uh, in Jerusalem, called Malezatim now. And I was there for four years in the beginning, and something happened to me in Malezatim. I, for the first time, started meeting Palestinians. And starting to see their story. Sorry, Alf, it's Arabs, right. not okay. Palestinians. But this is important in terms of advancing Jewish liberation. It, it was hard for me at first. Because I realized that they have a real story too. There's a real story going on there. And then in the beginning, I saw Mahmoud Abbas is to blame. And he's oppressing his people. But the truth is, a lot of what they say they're feeling oppressed by, I understand to be a Jewish identity crisis meaning us not knowing who we are, us not understanding our connection to this land, us not being clear about who we are, what we're here for, what we're going to do here, what this country is going to be, creates oppression for them. That's, uh, that's yeah. obvious. One thing that I've come yeah. to understand over the years, you know, if, if you were to ask me, what, does, uh, what are the goals of Jewish history now? What are the goals in this chapter of our story? I would say three things. Number one, freedom from the United States complete economic military independence. We can't be a vassal. We came back to life to bring something new to the world. We're not going to bring anything new to the world by being uh, you know, the proxy of the U- United States in the Middle East. We have to be an independent entity that has its own message for the world and doesn't just become like a sidekick to Esav. And uh, number two, decolonizing Jewish identity. Uh, this is something you can learn from post-colonial studies. You know, whenever a nation experiences liberation, it has to have a real conversation about its own identity. Like, and I'm talking about a nation that never left its own land, that was just conquered by the British or by the Romans or whoever. When they get free, it's not enough to be free. You have to have a conversation about what happened to your culture when you weren't free, what happened to your identity when you weren't free. Let's just say your house in Yitzhar. Let's just say for a moment a gang from uh, Tel Aviv invades your house in Yitzhar takes your family hostage, rearranges the furniture, says you're no longer allowed to eat chicken from now on, you're only going to have vegetables and nothing else, and, uh, and you're only going to listen to uh, American music. And this goes on for five years. They have guns, you can't do anything about it. Five years later, you've had enough, you kick them out, but then you and your family have to have a conversation. Where did the furniture used to be? Maybe do we go back to eating chicken or maybe our bodies are used to the vegan cuisine. Maybe it's better for us. It's a conversation. Uh, Do we like this music that they made us listen to? Or do we want to go back to our own music or will it be a mix? This is what we call the post-colonial conversation and we never did that. The Lehi defeated the British, the British left. We took down their flag and we put our flag on their system. You know, you mentioned before administrative detention being like a British policy that was kind of grandfathered into the state of Israel. It's interesting when the Lehi uh, went into the Knesset, the first Knesset, they had a political party, the Lohamim. One of their issues that they were fighting for was to stop the structures of the British regime from being like grandfathered in, especially administrative detention, which they were obviously... The primary victims of. Right. People like Shabdai Bendov in, you know, trying to figure out what makes a justice system Jewish, how do you actually make a real Jewish justice system in a nation-state in the in the 20th century, um, like these are real conversations we have to have. So I think the post-colonial conversation is a major goal of our people right now, like post Six-Day War, post coming back to Yudah Omron and Yerushalayim, we have to have a conversation about who we are and what the state is supposed to be and how we express our values and our identity in the policies and institutions of a nation-state. But the third Third goal, I think, is unity with our neighbors. Because I think ultimately, if there was no pressure from the West and no European money coming to organizations here, and no State Department trying to force us into two-state solutions, we would have no problem with the Arabs in this land. We'd have no problem. We'd figure out a, a way to either win, make peace, whatever, quickly. If there is no foreign pressure. But if there is not one Nanju between the river and the sea the Americans and the Europeans would try to find another excuse to shrink our land because ultimately for them it's about the fact that they, on a subconscious level, fear their civilization threatened by the rebirth of Amnistral. It means something. What we call Geula, they call Armageddon. Okay. Like they fear this, and since 1967, you know, in 1948, they were afraid the Vatican had a crisis of faith. Like, what's going on? They were proving their faith to the world by saying that the Jews are in galah, the Jews are in exile, the Jews are being punished, but then the Jews came back. And in 1948, they resolved it. They said, first of all, they're not really in Eretz Israel. They're not in Shechem, they're not in Betel, they're not in Chevron, they're not in Beit Lechem. They're, they're in Tel Aviv and Netanya, like who cares? It's not, a, it's not a big deal. Second of all, we gave it to them. We were merciful Christians, and we gave them a bomb shelter because of what happened to them in Europe. But then in 1967, the world experienced a biblical style miracle according to the Jewish interpretation of scripture. And we essentially smashed the idol of Christianity, and we threatened Western civilization. That was like the big loser of that war. And since 1967, Western civilization has been obsessed with robbing our victory of any historic meaning. And that means forcing us to give up what we took. And so for me, ultimately, I think, if we want to stop outsiders from coming in here and trying to remove us from parts of our land, and trying to dilute our culture because they're also afraid of the rebirth of a real Jewish national culture. They want us to just be like Hebrew-speaking uh, Americans. If we if we want to fight against these things, I think it behooves us to find allies in the Arab world and other parts of the Middle East who are
1: resisting the same thing. I think that we're on a stage way before that. Okay. The stage that you mentioned many times, but before we start talking about the the Arabs, we need a somebody. We need a vision. Mm-hmm. There's no vision today. Okay. Nobody knows what a Jewish state is. Nobody knows where we're going to. Do you have a vision? Once we, we build a good vision, I think that it will be a lot easier for everybody to go with, with us, and uh, both Jews and Arabs. Well, what about and, you? you? You
0: are a strong Jew. You are a strong Jew from the mountain of Yitzhar. You have a vision of what this country should be. Why don't you... Well, I'm asking you. Would you, I'm as a s- strong Jew, representing the tribe of Yitzhar... Come to a meeting with Arabs in your area and represent your vision and see if you could find allies. First of all, no. Okay. Why not? In the past 20
1: years, I'm. O- I see that I'm always responding. Mm-hmm. to things happening. I was very active, defending Jewish homes against uh, destroying by being destroyed by the Israeli government. House demolitions. I was. Uh, I was active defending Jewish homes mm-hmm. against Arabs. I was active in starting off new hilltops I was active mm. but most of the things I was doing was always defending against right. I was in jail trying to, to do things against the, the expulsion of Jews from Gaza and the past couple of years I've seen that I'm not doing I'm not doing enough to think what we are supposed to do not right. to defend
0: to be a revolutionary and no, to be proactive I won't,
1: I won't go right. to speak with that Arab because Even me, Mm -hmm. that I'm, I see myself as somebody who tries to think of Mm -hmm. the geula. I do not know what that means. Mm -hmm. So before I know what that means, with the Arabs here, there's only one thing: they cannot be here. Mm -hmm. So you, if I do one day come to a conclusion that I know how it's supposed to look, Mm -hmm. and it's not only me, my rabbi is very active in thinking. Rabbi Yitzhak Ginsburg is very active. In thinking how the redemption is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. What is Gulah? He does not believe that we need to just wait for Mashiach to come from, from on top. Be'ezo Hashem, Be'itai, it says, Be'itai Nachishenah, make happen very fast. But it's our job okay. to work on Mashiach. So we need to think what
0: that means. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with and you. Right now, the conclusion I've come to I is need that to, we can ally with these people. I am not interested in, al- no. in, in because, in by the, everything you mentioned—administrative detention, police brutality, house demolitions—they have mm-hmm. the same experiences. Meaning, you are the Jew that they could relate to more than any other Jew in this country. Yeah, but, you should be but our conclusion. ambassador to the Arab world. The you should be our ambassador. The conclusion, to Conclusion: My
1: conclusion world. is right. that I want to help them right. leave the country because this is my country. Mm-hmm. After they've left the country where at least the majority of them left the country, I could think what I could do with the minority. You want to be a Toshav? I don't know what that means. But as of now, Mm -hmm. that you have about 4 million Arabs... In just the Israel we have today.
0: What about the ones who are not talking about of our Syria and Jordan right, and all right, that? What, what about the ones who are descendants of our ancestors? The ones in this land who were left here by the Romans and eventually forced into Islam or Christianity or whatever.
1: If somebody comes up uh-huh. and he has a Megillat Yosem, that he shows mm-hmm. exactly how. What about how DNA tests?
0: I, I know Palestinians who have taken DNA tests. They're Ashkenazim.
1: I'm sorry, their, their identity is mm-hmm. with the Arabs today, okay. so I can't allow them here.
0: Mm-hmm. So you're, you're saying under no condition do you see a place for, you're talking about just Arabs or non-Jews in general? This is? Definitely it's divided. Definitely it's divided to
1: different, you have the Arabs, mm-hmm. you have the Arabs who live in the Udai so-called Palestinians, you have the Arabs that are so-called Israeli citizens. The Palestinians too. To, right. To call them Israeli citizens is weird. But they're Palestinians. And they're Say, their, an Arab their Israeli is, is like saying an Arab Jew. Right? Israel is Jew.
0: Like Israel is Amisrael.
1: Right. And, and uh, the Russians that came, immigrated here because their father was a Jew and they're, mm-hmm. they're not the same. And the Jews are not the same. Mm-hmm. Okay. And there's so many different...
0: It, it's interesting. We haven't had power in 2000 years. When we were powerless, when we were in Galut... There were two kinds of humans. There were Jews and there were Gentiles. And in most cases, the Gentile was the oppressor. The Gentile was the enemy. But historically, whenever we've had power, there were more than one category of people on both sides. Like, you're a Cohen, I'm a We both come from a specific sub-tribe of the tribe of Levi. Right? In Amistral, there were differences between Levi and Yisachar and Yehuda and Shimon. We had different functions, different roles, even different halachot, because we all had our own bat and there are also different kinds of Gentiles. There is Amalek, but there is also Gertoshav, there's also Ben-Noach. And I think part of us unpacking our identity, now that we've come back to our land, and learning how to use power properly, is to actually be able to make those distinctions. Meaning, it doesn't necessarily right. go according but to Arab or Russian, well, sometimes in, by Hamula.
1: Let's talk in Kabbalic right. words a minute. Okay, In the Kabbalic words by the Baal Shem Tov, mm-hmm. actually not the Hasidic words, you have three stages to everything in life. It's called hakhna'ah, hamdallah, hamtaka. First stage is, not, it's not exact certain to say surrender, but the idea is first stage is um, stop. Mm-hmm. Second stage is to divide. Okay. And the third stage is hamtaka is like to sweeten. You cannot jump steps. You cannot s- s- jump to the step of deciding of between inside the Arabs, which hamula is and which hamula is not. You're not there yet. First, you need to stop what's going on here, and what's going okay. on here is war. And I cannot stop war mm-hmm. by talking to the enemy. I need to stop war by showing power. Mm-hmm. That's first stage, especially with the Arabs, that they respect power. Well, everybody now, respects power. That's now, the world. Now the, the Japanese respect power, the Russians respect Israel, power, Americans respect now power. Now Israel does, is not showing power, and that's why in Gaza and in Yudah and Shomron and in Syria and Lebanon and uh, soon in Jordan and Iran, are trying to fight Israel. You think the
0: state of Israel looks weak to these people?
1: They looked mixed, mixed. Mm-hmm. Like the, they I don't think, know what they want.
0: I, I, I think right. We our Ratzon is weak, but our, they're our afraid
1: because they know have they have the capability, right? But they don't have the, the we willing to what? do. Nothing. We don't have difficult. the will.
0: We have the military capability, no question, but we don't have the will, and we because of our identity crisis, right? Fine. Okay. Well, look, we should continue this conversation. Uh, I think there's a lot to talk about. You're welcome, Shabbat, with your wife. Oh, and, and we'll Shabbat. have the whole Shabbat. No, we'll have a whole Shabbat to talk and about And our things. audience could also... Uh, oh, we'll just uh, we'll hit record before Shabbat. What? We'll hit record. The Shabbat's recording in your house anyway, so we'll get it. We'll
1: get no, it. but you could come You could come for Shabbat. Uh-huh, so all the audience could come for Shabbat, enjoy mm-hmm. Shabbat in its hour. No five-star hotel there, but at least uh, mm-hmm. you have the atmosphere. You have the
0: tent in Kumi Ori once the Magadha can Right. right. Uh, okay, so Met, it is your birthday. Your mazal is very strong. I know I'm a Kohen, you're a Kohen, but I still want you to give me a bracha that the Kadosh Baruch Hu will use me as a tool to bring Geulah closer.
1: So I bless you and all the audience Twelve. to live in Eretz Yisrael, to promote Am Yisrael, to promote the Geulah, the redemption of Am Yisrael, and to really believe and understand what the next stage is Israel's history is supposed to be. Amen.
0: Kenyat this is Yudah Cohen with Akiva Cohen. Uh, this is the Next Stage podcast, Vision Magazine. Check out the show notes at visionmag.org backslash the next stage 013.